Today we'll be back in 1 Peter as we're returning to our 1 Peter sermon series to finish up what we started last year before Advent. This morning we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 12 and going through verse 19. Let me read that for us. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to Him. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of our Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we come now to your word and we declare that we trust you. Even when life is difficult, even when sufferings come. We thank you for Christ, our Savior, who suffered for us and died and rose again. For your Spirit, who rests upon us. And so we pray now that you would teach us through your word that we might understand more about how we can suffer well and honor and glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the best surprise that you've ever experienced? Every year at Christmas time, we're treated to several different versions of the same commercial where an unsuspecting spouse comes out of the house and behold, there's a Lexus in the driveway. Surprise! Or perhaps maybe in the real world, you've been to a birthday party where everybody gets in place and then the unsuspecting person enters the room and surprise! Or maybe this past Christmas, you received something that wasn't actually on the list that you publicized for everyone. And it was your turn to be surprised. These are good surprises. Then there's another type of surprise, isn't there? This past year, surprise! Your life is postponed and canceled because of a pandemic. In our English Bible translations, the word surprise comes up a few times. What's interesting is that for those who follow Jesus, usually when it comes up, we're given instruction not to be surprised. 1 John 3, do not be surprised if the world hates you. In 1 Thessalonians 5, you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day, the day of the Lord, to surprise you like a thief. And now verse 12 here in 1 Peter 4, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange is happening to you. So it seems that the scripture tells us, at least in regards to these things, 
that we are not to be surprised when suffering or trials or tests or persecution shows up in our lives. Maybe that's surprising news to you and me. But today as we look on this passage at suffering, we'll be stretched by Peter to consider our view and our response to the sufferings that are sovereignly placed in our lives. If we have found ourselves surprised by suffering or difficulty, how are we to think and pray and respond to it when it comes our way? The first thing that Peter's going to challenge us to do is to examine and perhaps change our perspective on suffering. And we do that by starting at the beginning of the verse here. And we see who Peter is addressing. It simply says, Beloved. This is written to the family. This is written to God's people. Loved by God. Loved by Peter. Loved by one another. In assessing our suffering, one of the first things we must do is recognize, first, that we're not alone. But secondly, that suffering is not intended to be borne by ourselves alone. Part of being in the family of God together is being willing to suffer together. For some of you, perhaps you're going through a season or time of really difficult suffering. And so this, may this beloved here at the beginning of this verse remind you that it's okay, it's indeed encouraged that you ask for help, that you seek out prayers so that others can come alongside you in that suffering. For others of you right now, you may be in a season where you're not suffering a great deal. And may this address to the beloved here remind you that there are those that may need you to come alongside them in their time of need. Suffering in the body of Christ is something that we must expect and be committed to enter into together. Yet not only here do we see that we suffer together as God's people, the church, it's that we share in the sufferings of our, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are united to Christ, and as His sufferings led to Him fulfilling His mission of salvation, and ultimately led to glory. So the sufferings we experience as well lead to His good purpose being demonstrated in our lives now, even as we anticipate future glory with Him. So we examine our perspective on suffering. Peter then tells us, hey, do not be surprised. How can he say that? I thought the TV preacher said life was supposed to be easy. Well, the Scripture never promises an easy life. God promises all sorts of good things to us, and He's good on those promises, but He does not promise an easy life. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. That's not easy. So we're not to be surprised when trials come. We can look to the past. We can look to the Scriptures. We can see where those in the faith who have gone before us suffered for their faith in Christ. In Hebrews 11, that wonderful chapter where the author speaks of all those who have lived by faith, as he encourages his readers to do the same, it concludes this way, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, 
escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So we look back. We see all through the Scriptures how God's people suffered in following Jesus. We see it also in church history. There are several examples we can go to here, but one in the second century was Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, who was arrested and given the opportunity to offer incense to Caesar. Take the oath, they said. Curse Christ, they told him, and you'll be released. But Polycarp's response, 86 years I have served him and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me. And so he died. Friends, we look back to the past, we see suffering in the church, in the scriptures throughout history. And we can look around today at our present world. All over the world, brothers and sisters in Christ suffer on account of their faith. We can also look now at the trials and tests that God brings into our lives. We can see that we should not be surprised when they come. We can even look to the future because there's a pattern in Scripture of suffering preceding and leading to glory and the glory that is to come that we eagerly look for and anticipate. It requires suffering in this life. So a different perspective on suffering remains remembering that we suffer together as God's people, that we're not to be surprised because of what we've seen in the past, in Scripture, and in history. But a different perspective also means that we must rejoice. Often we think about the book of James when we hear this. It tells us, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Here we have a similar charge from Peter. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to hear the word rejoice and the word suffer at the same time. But we must remember that this is not some sort of don't worry, be happy, minimizing of suffering that's happening here. The Scripture acknowledges the reality of suffering. And then gives us real reasons to rejoice in the midst of it. James and Peter both point to a greater purpose in suffering. That suffering is meant to design, meant and designed to test us. Peter says, don't be surprised when the trial comes to test you. James says, the testing of our faith produces steadfastness and faithfulness. Now some of you this morning, when you hear the word test, especially you students out there, you immediately uh, start having either flashbacks or flash forwards or getting worried about something. But this morning, I want you to think about that word differently. Maybe not in the sense of school, 
But think of the word test maybe more like they do over at NASA, which some of you listening and some of my brothers here in the room can tell me a lot more about. But think of it this way. Before a rocket goes to space to fulfill its purpose and mission, there are a zillion parts that are worked on and tested to ensure that rocket will be able to fly. My guess is these tests involve a lot of poking and prodding of various parts. And in some cases, yes, fire is involved to see if they are ready for that, what they will face. But the point of these tests is to prepare the parts in the rocket to fulfill its mission and purpose. And so we rejoice when we are being tested in such a way. Because testing produces steadfastness and faithfulness. And it prepares us to be mission ready in God's kingdom. Furthermore, it's said more explicitly later in the text, and we'll talk about it. But here it is also implied that we can rejoice because suffering is designed. And therefore it is sent into our lives by God. And He is intervening in our life to conform us to His sovereign purpose. Peter tells us then that we're united to Christ. We share in His sufferings. And that rejoicing now in the midst of suffering leads to greater rejoicing in glory. The pattern of Christ's suffering in His life, death, and eventually his, the glory of His resurrection and ascension, that's the pattern we must anticipate as His followers. Peter lived this out in his life. And later today, don't have time to read it all now, but I encourage you to go to Acts chapter 5 and read the account of Peter and the other apostles. They're brought before the council of the Pharisees and Sadducees. An intense confrontation takes place to the point where there were those who were part of the council that wanted to kill them on the spot. What eventually happens is they are beaten and let go. And then it says this, that they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. You see, they were tested. They suffered. They rejoiced. And then they went about to fulfill the mission that God had gave them. Friends, this morning we must examine and be prepared to change our perspective on suffering. To remember we suffer together as a family of God that we're not to be surprised because of what the saints who have gone before us have experienced. And even now, our brothers and sisters experience around the world. And that we're even to rejoice because God is testing us and refining us that we will fulfill His purpose in us as we share in Christ's sufferings. So first we must examine and even be willing to change our perspective on suffering. Second, we must identify the source of suffering so that we can suffer well. Where does suffering come from? Well, Peter gives a multifaceted answer to the question. In verse 14, he speaks of suffering that comes, from, comes to us from outside of us. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You may experience at some point in your life being insulted for the name of Christ. Suffering coming from other people 
in the form of persecution or insults or whatever it may be, is a potential source of suffering. For Peter and his readers, this is a very real and present danger for them. Not just insults, but physical suffering and even death for claiming the name of Christ. Verse 16 echoes this. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So sometimes we'll see suffering come to us from outside of us. But there's another source of suffering that comes from inside of us. Verse 15 says this, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an ev- as an evildoer or as a meddler. Peter's giving us two types of suffering here. One that we can rejoice in, but the other that we're not to rejoice in. There would have been a temptation for those in Peter's time to resort to tactics and responses to their persecution with murder or theft or meddling or just flat out evil. But that's not the way of suffering. And that's not the way of the Savior. One way of suffering leads to glory and to rejoicing for those who in the name of Christ suffer well. But for those who suffer on the account of sinful pursuits, And what we see in verse 15 here, judgment awaits. Peter goes on to say in verse 17, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And in verse 18, he quotes Proverbs 11.31 and says, If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? The source of suffering, it can come from outside of us on account of Christ, or in a problematic way, it can come from inside of us on account of our sin leading to judgment. Yet there's another source of suffering that we must keep in mind. Verse 19 says it plain, although it's implied everywhere else. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. God himself sends suffering to his people. He works his sovereign purpose in us, on us, and through us with the suffering He sends our way. So when we ask where suffering comes from, is it from God or is it from man? Well, the answer is both. But the ultimate hand upon these trials that comes is the hand of our Heavenly Father. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want it any other way. He knows what we need. We see this exemplified in the death and suffering of Christ. So the question is asked, who crucified Jesus? In Acts 2, we read this. This is uh, verse 22 through 24. Peter is preaching at Pentecost. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So we see it there very plainly that just as Christ suffered according to the actions of mankind and the definitive sovereign plan of his Father for the purpose of securing salvation for his people, in his life, death, and resurrection. Just as he did that, you and I, as those who follow him, will face suffering. 
And it will come from all angles. But ultimately, it will come from the sovereign hand of God upon us for the purpose of making us more like Christ and preparing us for the glory that awaits. So we must examine and change where, where necessary our perspective on suffering. And we must identify the source of suffering so that we can suffer well, looking to God and for His glorious purpose in it. Finally, we must actively respond to suffering. And this is our own suffering and the suffering of others. And so for the rest of this passage, we're going to see Peter give us four different action points that we can take in responding to suffering. The first we find in verses 14 and 16, that we must remember and claim our status as those who belong to Christ. It says in verse 14, If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Verse 16, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but glorify God in that name. Our first response is by staking our identity on who we are in Christ, that we are blessed because the Spirit of God rests upon us. United to Christ by faith, therefore we must forsake other identities. We must forsake the labels of this world, the identity theft of this world. Claim our identity in Christ, who lived and suffered and died and was raised for us. We can rejoice that the Holy Spirit lives in us, and we face trials and suffering not as evidence of God's absence or that He has somehow left us, but as evidence of His presence with us and His power at work in our lives. So friends, we remember that this morning. We claim our status. We claim our identity in Christ and in His name and in His life and death and resurrection, even as we suffer. Secondly, we're to glorify God, as it says in verse 16. We need not be ashamed to claim the name of Christ and to follow Him and to be a Christian. We are to glorify God in that name. There's another sermon in here somewhere. But again, to glorify God, to love Him, to worship Him, to obey His commands, to follow Him, to be willing to suffer for Him. These are all ways we're called to glorify God. In doing so, we're to forsake other idols. We're to forsake other gods. We're to quit putting hope in political parties or ideas or people or ourselves. We're to put our, hope, put our hope in Christ alone, in the name of Jesus, and glorify God in that name. Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In order to glorify God, His name must be the one that we stake our claim to, the one that we wear on our jersey, the name that we claim and live for, because He is the one who laid down His life for us, for our salvation. So we also glorify God, and then we trust Him. Verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Friends, not if, but when we suffer, we must trust God. 
We must ask that His will be done. We must remember that He is our Creator and Sustainer and Redeemer. That He made us and He has not left His creation, but constantly tends to us as a loving Father. He is faithful. He has not forgotten His promises. He is fulfilling His purposes through the suffering that He sends. He is with us even in the midst of it. Charles Spurgeon once said that as sure as God puts his children in the furnace of affliction, he will be with them in it. And so we trust him and we suffer well. So we remember our status as those who belong to Christ. We glorify God, we trust him. And then Peter's final charge here is that we're to suffer and trust God while doing good. That we're to do good as those who follow Jesus. Claiming our status in Christ, glorifying God, trusting Him. This leads us to look outside of ourselves and to do good towards others. When we suffer, one thing it should lead us to do is to reach out to others who are also suffering. To pray for, to encourage them, to walk through it with them. This also sets up a contrast with the murdering, thieving, meddling of verse 15. We saw enough of that this past week on the news. And friends, that is not the way. Suffering well leads us to love our neighbor, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. Because we trust Him and we know that He is at work and that we are part of that kingdom work that he is doing. So may may we be those who glorify God, who suffer well, who do good even in the midst of suffering because we are entrusting our souls to our faithful creator and resting in our status as his beloved children, saved by the work of his son for us with the spirit of God resting upon us. Please pray with me. God, we thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you that we belong to you and that you have loved us with an everlasting love that does not let us go. We thank you for the work of Christ on our behalf, that he suffered, that he lived righteously and perfectly, that he died the righteous for the unrighteous, that we would be brought to you, that we would be saved from our sins. And that through his resurrection, in his ascension and victorious reign, there is victory over death and over sin and over heartache and over suffering. That we can look forward to the time when his glory is revealed and we can anticipate sharing in that glory with him. We thank you in the here and now for the work of your spirit among us that rests upon us, that reminds us of these things. So we entrust ourselves to you this day in Jesus' name. Amen.